0: Love, peace, joy, and hope are all gifts to you from our incarnate Lord. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the epistle to Titus as recorded in chapter 2 verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people. It trains us to reject ungodliness and worldly lusts and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope that is the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and purify for himself a people who are his own chosen people eager to do good works. This is the word of our Lord. Well, did you get everything you wanted under the Christmas tree? We put those gifts under the Christmas tree to remind us of the greatest gift of all human history. The gift of God becoming man, taking on our human flesh to save us. And then we give those gifts as a reminder of those wise men who came and gave gifts out of thanks because the Savior had been born. Some Christians get confused, and even they make those gifts into a selfish shrine to the altar of our own ego. And sadly, many atheists today have become militant. Don't you dare wish me a Merry Christ Mass, because I'm an atheist and Christ names it. Oh, give me the gifts, give me the gifts. The truth of the matter is, Christmas is meant to, and for 2,000 years has focused on that great gift. And in our sermon today, we see Christmas focuses on the start through the finish. But what is the start and what is the finish? Obviously, when Adam and Eve fell into sin... God promised them a savior who would crush the serpent's head. And mankind waited thousands of years. But in my sermon today, I am talking about the start of the New Testament era. And when did that begin? Our text in verse 11 says, For God's grace was made to appear, bringing salvation for all people. How was God's grace made to appear? If you want to know God's grace, if you want to know God's love, if you want to know his mercy, his love, his peace, his joy, his, the hope he gives us, you have to look at that manger. Because God, from all eternity as we learned in our gospel, took on human flesh. He hid his godhood. He took on human flesh to live perfectly for you and I, and that alone marvels me. Because I cannot go a couple of minutes without thinking one thought that offends our holy God. And yet God took on our human flesh. As true man, he could be our substitute. He could live in our place. As true God, he would never even think one sinful thought. But his grace didn't just appear at Jesus' birth. It's his whole life. And it culminates in the cross. Because not only do we have to live perfectly in order to be saved, which we do not do, so Jesus was our substitute, but we have to have no sin. So He took the punishment for our sins in our place. His blood washes our sins away. If you want to know God's grace, you have to not only see that child in the manger, you have to see the man 33 years later on the cross, and you have to see the empty cross. You have to see the empty tomb. He rose. That is your receipt, God's promise. Your sins are paid for. Our text says bringing salvation for all people. So why do so many go to hell? Well, God has won our salvation and was perfect for us. There is only one sin that damns you to hell. One. One. And that is to reject that baby in the manger as God. That is to reject that man on the cross as God winning salvation for you to say, no, I have to earn my salvation or to say, I don't care or to say that must just be a man that cannot be God or to reject that empty cross. And don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ. Our sinful nature wants to do it every day. That just appears to be some baby in history that people got overzealous about. And now we give gifts. No. God's Holy Spirit enters our heart and we believe. So that there's only one sin that the world is held accountable for, and that is to reject the God-man, the package deal of his whole birth, life, death, and resurrection. And so Christmas focuses on the start through the finish. The start is Christ's incarnation for all mankind. That includes his birth, his whole 33 years of life, his death, and his resurrection but it means something to you and I. We do something with that when we come to faith, right? And that's verse 12. Verse 12, allow me to translate the the Greek literally. It keeps on training us so that we renounce all ungodliness and worldly desires and we live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. keeps on training us. Have you ever trained somebody or something? You repetitiously keep going over and over again. God's grace is he is ever patient with us. I screw up every day and you do too. And he comes with his word and he picks me up and you up and with his blood. It's like he dusts our sins off and says, there, try again. And we get better and better, but we're never perfect until we're in heaven. And so it keeps on training us to do what? To renounce all ungodliness and worldly desires. Now, the Jacobian language of the King James Version used to would use the word lust. And today in English, when we hear the word lust, we only think of sins of the flesh. But lust, a wrongful passion, desire, yearning and aching, burning for something. And that's the way of the world. I mentioned the wrong look at the gifts under the Christmas tree in which we long and ache for more things, more mammon, more material possessions. The world says, look out for number one, and we lust and we ache for it. And there's ungodliness in the world in which we want to put God in our pocket and tell him out and tell God, this is how you be God for me. But that's an invented God. That's not a real God. God comes and trains us to fight that down because the temptation is there every every day. And it's his word that comes with the love, peace, joy, hope, with the blood of Christ and washes us clean so that we do just the opposite. We have a sinful nature in us that's always chasing after those. But we have a new man that's going to live forever, is eternally alive, a new woman, a new person. And we live self-controlled. What? Isn't that amazing? Because Christ lived for us. He's put his Holy Spirit in our heart and and we're self-controlled. We're not aching with that desire and lust for the things of this world. We hold it at bay while our new man fights against our old man, not in order to be saved. No, you couldn't fight that if you weren't saved. It's because the Holy Spirit's in your heart. You believe in Jesus. That new man is there. And so you are self-controlled, upright and godly, Upright I meaning we reflect the, the ways of God's holiness. You do not realize how because the Holy Spirit's in your heart, people in your work and your neighbors don't see you as, as a scam artist, as somebody who's out to get them, as somebody who's only looking out for number one. They, whether they realize it or not, they see your love, your justness, your holiness, even though you and I are sinners, And that is a reflection of God's glory because you are saved. And so you live a godly life. We are in the world, but not of the world. It's not that we check out and go live in the desert and stay away from all people so that we're not tempted to sin. Good heavens no! we shine the brilliant light of our faith, even when we realize we're not doing it. We don't do it in order to be saved. We do it because we are saved. Verse 14 spells us out even more clearly as it talks about our Savior. It says, who gave himself on our behalf so that he would redeem us away from all lawlessness. Lawlessness is anarchy. What is the law? God's Ten Commandments tell us what holiness is. And every time we sin against those, that's anarchy. That's lawlessness. But he's redeemed us. He's bought us back from that. Even though we do it every day, even when we don't want to. We're told, and he would purify for himself a uniquely precious people who are zealous for good works. That's you. When you have faith, you are a uniquely precious person to God because you are a priest. Yes, you are a priest. In the Old Testament, the priest sprinkled the blood of the animal sacrifice and announced the forgiveness of sins onto the person. They announce that in view of the coming one who would take on our human flesh. But you get to tell other people the good news. Your sins are forgiven. Your good works are a sacrifice, a return thanks gift you give to God, not because you're obligated to, but out of love, peace, joy, and hope for the wonderful gift he has given you. This is your purpose in life once you've come to faith and God builds it into you so that you're doing it whether you realize it or not. Christmas focuses on the start through the finish. The start is Christ's incarnation for all mankind. It's that package deal of his life, birth, death, and resurrection. The middle is each individual Christian. And so your life in him, in which his glory shines through in your life. You go, but how can it shine through when I'm sinning? Because his forgiveness and the trust in God shines through then too. People wouldn't see God if we acted like Pharisees. When they see the person at work who screws up and says, I'm sorry, and trust in the Lord for forgiveness, they are truly seeing God's grace in you. So what is the end? Well, verse 13 spells that out. While waiting to receive the blessed hope, notice it says it spells out what that hope is. That is the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, namely Jesus Christ. It's actually not the end at all. It's the end of this sinful world, but it's your and my starting to all eternity if we're the last generation. Otherwise, when you die, you get that all eternity. But Jesus' return when the invisible church that is made up of everyone who believes in Him becomes the kingdom of glory because it's all there's going to be. It is going to be glorious. Our sins will forever be gone and we'll never ever struggle with it again. You and I are not afraid Of end of times. It often amazes me how churches that one way or the other base, just a little bit of salvation on your doing it. You do your best and then God will do the rest. How they get hung up on end of times and they have to have millennialism and all these goofy things because they're not completely trusting that Jesus has done all the work for salvation. But you and I, we don't fear that day. There's no great mystery Boom, our Savior shows up and he takes us, gives us glorified bodies and a new heavens and a new earth. And we're looking forward to that. And again, in verse 14, we're told of Jesus who gave himself on our behalf so that he would redeem us away from all lawlessness and would purify for himself a uniquely precious people who are zealous for good works. The greatest work you do, whether you realize it or not, is trusting in Jesus for your salvation. And it shows in your life. So, yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're thankful for those gifts underneath the tree. And the Lord has blessed us abundantly, even with material possessions. But we recognize Jesus Christ is our great gift. And we see that Christmas focuses on the start through the finish. The start is Christ's incarnation for all mankind. It's a package deal. It's life, birth, death, and resurrection. The middle is each one of our individual lives that are lived in him, zealous for good works because he saved us. And the end is Christ's return in the kingdom of glory through which you are going to live forever and ever. Amen. Our concluding benediction is from hymn 36. The word becomes incarnate and yet remains on high and cherubim sing anthems to shepherds from the sky. Repeat the hymn again. To God on high be glory and peace on earth to men. Amen.